Shalom Aleichem. Welcome to the Schmooze, the Yiddish Book Center's podcast. I'm Lisa Newman, and today I'm visiting with David Mazauer. David is the Yiddish Book Center's research bibliographer and editorial director and serves as the chief curator and writer of the Yiddish Book Center's landmark new core exhibition, Yiddish, A Global Culture, which opens on Sunday, October 15th. Welcome. It's uh, great that you cleared 30 minutes in the midst of what is an insane schedule with the final installation, and you're here to chat about the exhibition. Thanks. Thank you, Lisa. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, so as we say here at the center, this has been a massive undertaking, five years in the making. Do you care to uh, walk us back to the start of this idea, which I think it's safe to say has grown from the small seed of an idea to a massive re-envisioning of the center's museum? Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. Um, you know, so many things maybe maybe blanked out um, in my mind for good reasons. Uh, <laughs> but my memory of it is that it goes back to... Um, really when I began conversations with Aaron and Susan about joining the center, um, which is pretty much exactly six years ago, I've been here. And one of the first conversations as, as we were discussing that possibility revolved around their wish for a new exhibit. And the specific idea at that point was that there was an exhibit that many of you will remember in one of the upper galleries through classrooms um, that was called The Big Book. Uh, that was how we referred to it anyway. And it was it resembled an open book, but it was about two meters by two meters, maybe three meters by three meters. It was a huge metal thing that spoke to you and projected quotes about um, Jewish life in America. And, you know, it has sort of had its day um, and they wanted to replace it. And the the starting point for what is now Yiddish a global culture was an exhibit that would focus on Yiddish culture in America or maybe Yiddish literature in America specifically. And that's how we started out. And then various um, iterations of a sort of proposal were, were created and the more you know, we thought about this, the more it made sense not just to restrict it to America or the Americas, uh, but to really make it a global focus and not just to restrict it to literature, but to embrace all of Yiddish culture in its broadest sense. And so fairly quickly, well, within you know, a matter of months, um, it became the project became uh, a new exhibition about Yiddish Yiddish culture globally, but what that would be, what would be in it, how it would look, how it would relate to the center and everything that was in it previously was all up for grabs. So what's, what is the story at this point that you set out to tell? And maybe what were some of the considerations as you began to shape that narrative? Yeah, um, so I think we established some some sort of uh, basic principles. Um, we wanted to tell as comprehensive a story, but it was never going to be an encyclopedia. Um, we wanted to tell a truly global story. So to take Yiddish into all those kind of fascinating corners that we don't tend to hear about, you know, Cuba and Cairo and Constantinople, Istanbul, and, you know, who knows where else. Um, so sort of nothing off limits in terms of the global scope. 
um, we wanted to tell a story that did justice to the three main pillars of mass culture. You know, when Yiddish emerges in the late 19th century, turn of the century, early 20th century as a mass phenomenon, it's the press, the literature, and the theater. I mean, you could maybe add in a fourth, which is music, but that kind of falls to a degree under theater. So you have to do justice to those three things to, to have the ambition of being in any way comprehensive. So those were at the core. Um, we wanted an exhibit that put women at the center of the story that was not going to be the classic great um, canon of Yiddish literature, you know, as it always occurs in books up until the 60s, 1960s, 70s, 80s, and it's just a parade of men from Menjela, Sholem Aleichem, and Peretz through Opatoshu, Ansky, Sholem Ash, um, Beshebis, and, you know, so many more. But but there are loads of books that address Yiddish literature, though it's an entirely male phenomenon. So in every respect, we wanted women to be um, absolutely uh, in an equal place. Um, then I guess another principle was, you know, starting from what's at the center, which is obviously so many books and the story of the people who read them and why have they come here? Because their families have donated them or they've gone to libraries that have donated them subsequently. We didn't want to lose that um, sense of readers and consumers in addition to writers and creators. So we wanted to try and connect those two things as much as possible and then i mean there are loads more but i'll just add in one last one which was a which was an obvious challenge from the beginning which was you know we're not a repository like a a metropolitan museum or a british museum that has millions or even thousands or even necessarily hundreds of real things of artifacts so how are we going to what was the mix going to be between the books the photographs the other things audio video but crucially artifacts and how are we going to find those things that you know any large-scale exhibition really ought to have so so th that was the starting point um some years ago and uh, and then many things changed but we tried to keep those principles in mind as we were going along when i've spoken about the exhibition to others. I've used the word, and you've probably heard me use it, transformational, to describe how you've managed to, in my words, contextualize uh, Yiddish literature and culture, if I may, and, and how you've threaded stories and, uh, um, and a timeline as such throughout the exhibition. The continuity of Yiddish literature and culture really does weave itself through the exhibition as you consider aspects of the culture from the earliest 20th century, the present. And um, I'm kind of interested in hearing what your take is on that. Yeah, that's a great question. And, and I sort of think about it in, in two broad respects. One is, one is the sort of conceptual, the subject matter and the framing of the exhibition. And the other is really in terms of the space, um, the center itself. You know, I, I hope and you've played a huge part in this as the project director over most of the last year. Um, so, you know, I'll use we very deliberately. I hope we've created a sort of illusion in terms of the space, which is that you come in through the door, the front door, you come up to the docent desk, and your immediate feeling might be that, oh, this looks familiar. I see a lot of books. I see the sort of the spaces that I know before. I see some banners hanging up. But at the same time, you know, everything is kind of different. The banners are not the same banners. There are many fewer books, but I hope still 
that sense of looking out over a, a sort of sea of books. So that there's a sort of illusion that's taken place, I hope, um, with your help and, and that of others in terms of the space. Um, in terms of the subject matter, that's, that's a, you know, a, a whole other challenge and a, a more complex thing in a way. So it's the, the exhibition, I guess, when you, when you analyze it, works around the three main pillars that I spoke about a little earlier, the press, literature, and, uh, and theater. But we've added in something like 10 or 12 thematic um, displays of different sizes and different sort of degrees of deep diving uh, onto those three pillars. So we have Soviet Yiddish, we have Yiddish modernism, we have Yiddish and the Holocaust, uh, and a whole bunch of others, um, which add to the comprehensive story. But in every case, I didn't want each of those to be self-contained categories. So you encounter a great deal about the Holocaust uh, in pretty much every section, or at least it's alluded to, and uh, there's some element of it that, that comes in, which is, you know, exactly as it should be. Um, some of the, the key actors, whether it's Paris Hirschbein or uh, Sholomash or others, um, you meet them in many different sections. It's not as though we have a big section about Bashevis Singer, a big section about Ash, a big section about um, Avram Goldfaden, but there, there's enough to give you a sense of who they are, and then you meet them in, in different places as you go through. So uh, you mentioned a timeline. The one thing we haven't, or one of the things we haven't got to, which awaits phase two, is, is actually a timeline that I think we'll, we'll address pretty quickly. Um, as you'll know, we were just overwhelmed with the scale of trying to get this thing finished on time or at least you know finished to open on October the 15th uh, and so we we made a decision to hold um, a couple of things back for a phase two that I don't think detract from the experience but will uh, of coming here but you know will will help um, anchor that sense of a timeline when they're when they're added in um, so it's yeah it's very difficult to work within our space that cannot have a sort of single path through an exhibition like you know you go to I don't know we've been to many exhibitions together at MFA Boston and there's pretty much always a an entrance and an exit and a clear path through it that's not how our space works and we obviously didn't want to do something drastic to make our space work in that way so we've had to accept that you know you can come into the building and go down the ramp or you can come into the building turn left and go in the other direction so it's a sort of cabinet of curiosities, a world's fair, a palace of varieties kind of approach. There are all these magical things, beautiful looking things, interesting things that you'll encounter and taken as a whole, I think you get the story. And 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 when I mentioned timeline and also threading through, I think um, one of the things that I was really impressed by or just... Um, found really interesting is the way that you've brought contemporary into this story throughout, because it really speaks to the fact that Yiddish culture um, is a continuum and that there is still a lot of creative work being done. And that's, I think, going to be fun for visitors. You know, um, you talked a little bit about objects and things like that. You, you know, I know firsthand your background as a journalist, your knowledge and if I may, insatiable interest in Yiddish culture. You have a keen eye as a visual storyteller. 
all of those aspects of who you are as the curator have a fingerprint all over the exhibition. And it's amazing to me that you're able to bring all these people and stories to the forefront and use that as a way of bringing us all into this larger story. So it's not, as you say, this retrospective of, you know, sort of the, um, you said it much more articulately, but I think you're, you understand where I'm going with this question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I think, I mean, in terms of the contemporary piece that you, you just spoke about, um, that's another example. You know, we, we've worked together on the, uh, on a, on a video that captures just a sort of a, a slice of contemporary Yiddish creativity. And that's, that's the final piece in a section called post-war and contemporary, but throughout there are, examples of contemporary creatives who and and in many cases they occur alongside their sources of inspiration which may be 50 100 150 years ago um, whether that's Abram Goldfaden and a Yiddish theater play that's been updated in a recent production or whether it's Alona Bach who's a Harvard brilliant Harvard PhD students wonderful um, short animated film which you can find on YouTube called Die Zogerin, the woman prayer sayer, which draws from a story by a writer who's really all but lost to us, Rochel Brochus, who died in Minsk during the war. Um, and so Rochel Brochus's story is in the Holocaust section, but we've put a still from Alona Bach's animation alongside it. So those two speak to each other across the decades. So, so that applies throughout. You know, the, I, I sort of see the exhibition as as the the roots, the root story of so much of what the center is doing today. But it obviously was important to reflect um, contemporary culture makers throughout, which is you know what we've done. And if I if I were to add up the names of people alive in their twenties through to their eighties and nineties today, there there are dozens of names of those people uh, referenced and their work is referenced so so that's one part of it and yes the the objects i mean we've been tremendously fortunate as the beneficiaries of so many generous people who've donated and loaned really um uh, important parts of their family history to us um, to put on display um, and perhaps most notably that's Jessica Hirschbein, the daughter-in-law of Peretz Hirschbein and Esther Schumiacher, this celebrated literary couple uh, and Jessica has donated the, the steamer trunk that that they used um, on their travels around the world throughout the 1920s. She's donated a medicine ball that her um, late husband was given as a kid by my great-grandfather, whole story to that. Uh, and she's donated the original cinema poster that Hirschbein had of his landmark film, Greener Felder, based on his theatre play. Um, so so just a wonderful set of gifts from Jessica that, that you'll see when you come. And many, many other people, um, when they heard about the exhibition and the scope of what we were setting out to do, came forward and said, you know, Zachary Baker said, I've got this chunk of granite that was blown off the front of the uh, Jewish center in Buenos Aires in the terror bombing of 1994, which killed um, and injured hundreds of people. Zachary went on a on an assessment fact-finding tour um, because huge portions of, of the main Jewish archive were 
destroyed and damaged in that attack. And so he went on a fact-finding mission and as a souvenir was given this sort of chunk of rock that sits in the palm of your hand. And he's held on to it ever since. But when he heard about the exhibition, he said, I think it's really something that should be seen. Um, sorry. I, I find that such such an emotional story. Um, you think of you know what that attack did to that community and the archives and and it's just wonderful that Zachary offered it to us um, to have represented in the exhibition. So, you know, on, in, and that's reproduced many, many times that um, that generosity has helped shape, you know, as these offers came in over the last two, three, four years, that changed and shaped the exhibition in, in so many different ways. We made room for things. It made us think about things very differently. We created what was the Unquiet Pages exhibition into a set of 16 story cases to house some of these um, really unique treasures. So, so that, you know, all these people were sort of part of the journey in terms of um, our evolution and thinking about the exhibition. Um, and, you know, again, I think, and, and I have to say hats off to you for this. You have, you've brought those stories into this exhibition and it's been a really um, very meaningful to see what you've done in in terms of allowing people to put these artifacts, which really fill out the story of Yiddish culture, um, into the exhibit um, where they may have, you know, ended up in a flea market or or you know discarded or, like the books. yeah or at auction, you know, um, yeah. So the fact that they're here. Um, is kind of magical and I, I have to say hats off to you because you have thought so deeply and with such commitment about how to show these things off to the best effect. Um, that's also been a transformational part of getting us to this point and, and also getting us to open on time, I have to say. So um, it's, you know, the collaboration uh, within the center and and the people we've brought in from outside has just been um you know it's it's pushed us well outside of our normal comfort zone in so many ways as you you know better than anyone um but i hope i hope you know people will come and and really enjoy it uh, yeah um i think anybody who has been if i may roped into this or invited in on this process some of the people on the periphery um it's hard not to respond to it and to be so enthusiastic about it because it's just such a great story that can be shared. Um, it's been a long journey and uh, we're close to seeing it brought to fruition. Um, things are being installed as we're sitting here on a Zoom recording. Um, how or how hasn't it um become the story you set out to tell and change and evolve? I know you've touched on that, but are there one or two pivotal moments in this five-year journey that changed it, morphed it, convinced you you were on the path that you wanted to be on? Yeah, I think I think that's a that's a tough one. I mean, I'm more and more aware of the things that are not in it that that I think people will justifiably say, you know, where is where is labor history? Where is Hasidic Yiddish? Where is um, the story of the shtetl? You know, where is a whole host of figures? You know, Baruchchani, Baruchchani Vladek, a sort of wonderfully protean figure, and I could name, you know, 
20 or 40 or 100 others who there just hasn't been room for. And I, I really feel sort of for them and regret that. Um, on the other hand, you know, we always knew that was going to be the case. It was never going to be an encyclopedia. Some tough choices had to be made. And I think all the people we have highlighted and shown are, you know, definitely worth worth being there. Um uh, I think that, you know, we'll, we'll maybe speak more about this in subsequent podcasts, but I very, very much wanted there to be something that was really out of the ordinary, distinctive, installation-like, um, impactful uh, in a visual and, uh, and a content sense. And I think we've created at least three of those things. I think one is the display of banners that I'll maybe not say anything more about and just leave it to you listening to come and encounter when you see but um but that has worked thanks to you and others lisa uh, they've come out so beautifully um the banners then we have the ramp which has a 60 foot stretched mural of yiddish land uh, and then we have as a third element an immersive room that we built into the big space here, which which represents um, the Salon of Peretz, the Polish Yiddish writer and and uh, influencer, you could say. Um, so the experience of stepping across the threshold, as so many young writers did from 1890 to 1915, into this space that transformed them. Uh, and in turn transform not just Yiddish literature and not just Yiddish culture, but Jewish culture in the broadest sense. We've recreated, and I think, um, you know, we're both hugely excited about that space and trying to just sort of add in all the final pieces to it. And I'm very excited to see what people make of that. And that will be an immersive space with audio and uh, photographs and books and Peretz's desk and a whole bunch bunch of you know possessions which have miraculously time traveled from turn of the century warsaw to present day amos uh, and maybe uh, a last question which is what do you hope visitors will take away from the exhibition uh, i kind of hope it overturns almost every preconception they have about yiddish culture um, i think certainly for many of them that will be the case um, you know, we we set out, and I think that was, in a way, the most important principle throughout, to tell a story that put Yiddish culture alongside Russian, French, German, Polish, uh, and indeed, you know, Chinese, Arabic, Indian, and you could go on. In, in other words, to present Yiddish as a world culture with enormous riches made by extremely smart, sophisticated people, um, and that that really, you know, transformed so many people's lives in the process um, to be so, you know, overturning so many of the stereoty stereotypes that, that, you know, we all maybe had to overturn in our own sort of journeys encountering Yiddish. Um, I think that above anything uh, is what we hope this will achieve. Um, for our listeners, again, it's Yiddish, a global culture, the Yiddish Book Center's landmark permanent exhibition, which opens at the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst, Massachusetts on Sunday, October 15th. From 10 a.m. to 5 p.m., there is a day packed with surprises, events, Q&As, and of course, the chance to see all of this realized. Um, so you can learn more about how to plan your visit for that day 
or a future visit if you don't happen to be in the neighborhood then, yiddishbookcenter.org. Um, David, thank you for joining me today for opening up this glorious, wonderful, surprising world of Yiddish culture to me and to everyone else who's lucky enough to see the world of Yiddish culture through your eyes. Thank you. Thank you so much, Lisa. You have been listening to The Schmooze, a production of the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst, Massachusetts. To learn more about this podcast and to subscribe, visit YiddishBookCenter.org. I'm Elizabeth Carteropoli. Until next time, be well and be healthy.